0: Well, it is a delight to be with you. If you will, open your Bibles to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah. Just turn to Matthew and go back two books, and you'll be at Zechariah. It has been 45 years. Since God revealed His Son in me. And I have been endeavoring for 45 years, almost that whole time, to preach the gospel to the generation in which I live. And in those years, I've met with lots of things that cause discouragement, and I meet with lots of people to whom I preach. We're often discouraged. We are left in this world, you and I who are born of God, we're left here for just one purpose, really. And that one purpose is to be witnesses of God our Savior to the generation to follow. God has been pleased to leave us here, that we might be instruments in his hands, by which he calls out his elect and the church of God in one generation holds forth the truth of God to another generation. But we often become discouraged because it appears things are not going as we would want them to. We don't see folks converted like we would wish. We don't see our churches built and filled as we would wish. Most of the places to which I Uh, go and preach the gospel in various parts of the world. Next week I'll fly to England and preach for a congregation that, I guess maybe there'll be 15 or 20 people there. Go over to Ireland and preach to a group of folks who meet. Might be 10, might be 20, might have some other folks come, but normally 10, 15 people. They meet together and do what they can and hear the word of God and then go out and seek to proclaim the word of God. But few seem to listen. We're much like the children of Israel when they were brought out of Babylonian captivity. You remember Nebuchadnezzar came and took Jerusalem into captivity. He leveled the city of Jerusalem, literally leveled the city. He destroyed the temple, took away all the furnishings of the temple, all the instruments by which God's people worshipped and served him. And for 70 years the Jews were held in captivity in Babylon until at last, exactly as God had ordered, the king of Babylon was raised up who would send the Jews back to Jerusalem and send them back at his expense to build again the walls of the city and to build again the temple of God. And they were ordered to go back and reestablish establish in that dark, dark day, the worship of God in Jerusalem. They were required to go back and build another temple, a temple to replace Solomon's temple, a temple in which, again, God would be worshipped. Men would be made to hear from God, and the people of God would gather together in solemn assembly to worship him. You'll find my text in Zechariah chapter 4. Zerubbabel was the man chosen of God to rebuild the temple at Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. He was, of course, a great type and picture of our Lord Jesus Christ who builds his church and temple. Shortly after the foundation was laid and the work had begun, many watched what was going on and began to despise it. Many of the laborers building the house of God looked at what was happening, and they began to get discouraged. They looked upon the work of the Lord God, that work which God had trusted to their hands, that work which God had given them the high honor of performing, that work that God had given them the noble privilege of doing for his namesake. God chose these people to be the people by whom He would build again his temple, by whom he would reestablish his worship. But they began to look at it as uh, something that really didn't amount to much. Something that really was insignificant. A matter to be despised. They remembered the greatness of the years before. There were some old men who had been in Jerusalem before the captivity, and they came back and they looked at this, and uh well, this temple's not going to be as big; this temple's not going to be as grand. this temple's not going to be as great as that temple that Solomon had built, and they began to despise it. Many looked upon the temple that was being built as a despicable thing. Israel's enemies despised them and the work they were doing, even Joshua the high priest, and Zerubbabel the prince seemed to have doubted whether the work should be given up altogether. The Jews were few in number. The laborers among them were fewer still. They possessed no wealth, no strength, no no special abilities or, or special gifts that any of them could recognize by which they might overcome the obstacles before them. And the whole thing seemed impossible. It was just too great. Just too big a task. I can't do it. Having laid the foundation and raised the walls here and there a little, they left off the work. They just stopped. They just stopped. <laughs> they, just stopped. They, they laid the foundation. They raised the walls a little way and then they quit. And they despaired of ever completing the work. The people of God trembled. Their enemies jeered. Then the Lord God did what he always does when his church needs it. He raised up two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, specifically sent to stir up the people, to devote themselves a new to the task God had put in their hands. Haggai and Zechariah, these men were made, sent by God, and made to have the message of God that would stir up and encourage faith in his servants, that would lift up the hands that were hanging down to give strength to the feeble knees. And Haggai and Zechariah came and spoke boldly. We won't try to read Haggai's prophecy let me summarize it for you and encourage you to read it along with Zechariah at one setting sometime tomorrow. Haggai's words were scorching. When you read them, you think, "Man, I'm glad I wasn't sitting there." <laughs> you just you read those words, you think, "This this is this would be hard to take." Imagine how it must have been to hear them. They considered nothing these Jews. Haggai said, you consider nothing too great for yourselves. You consider nothing too great to do for yourselves. You build your fine sealed houses. You make certain that you have a comfortable place to live, and yet you refuse to build the house of God. They said the time is not come that the Lord's house should be built. Why? Because in their eyes, Haggai said, You think it's nothing. Chapter 2, verse 3. He said, in your eyes, this is nothing. Building your house, that's something. Finding a place for your family, that's something. But building God's house, building God's altar, building the place of God's worship, you consider it nothing. And yet scorching as his words were against Israel's unbelief and indolence, Haggai was sent to give a word of comfort to assure God's people of his faithfulness. And he gave God's people this assuring, comfortable, encouraging word from the Lord their God. Listen to it. This is what he said in chapter 2, verses 17 through 19. He said, I smote you with blasting, with mildew, and with hail. From this day will I bless thee. (laughs) What a word. From this day will I bless thee. And he assured God's servant Zerubbabel that God had chosen him for the work and that he would make his work successful. To Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all the people, God's word by Haggai was just this. Be strong, for I am with you. According to the word that I covenanted with you, my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. Now listen to me. That is God's word to Don Fortner, to Todd Nybert, to Grace Church in Danville, to Todd's Road Grace Church in Lexington, and to Millsite Baptist Church here. God says, be strong, I am with you. According to the word that I covenanted with you, my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. Fear not what? Don't be afraid to put your hand to the task God's given you. Don't be afraid to put your shoulder to the work. Don't be afraid to devote yourself in the totality of your life to the building of God's kingdom. Him that honoreth me, I will honor, the Lord God says. Zechariah then came behind Haggai, and he said, Amen. Brother Haggai has given you the very word of God. His was also a message calling Israel and us to repentance. Let us ever be aware of our weakness, our failure, our unbelief, and continually repent before God, but also be aware of God's unfailing faithfulness in spite of the instrument he uses. His faithfulness, assuring us that he which has begun his work with us will complete his work to the praise of the glory of his grace, assuring us that the whole work of building his kingdom, of building his house, of building his church, the whole work of the saving of his elect is a work in his hands and in his hands alone. Now let's read beginning at verse 6 of Zechariah 4. Zechariah 4, verse 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Well, wait a minute, Zerubbabel's doing the work. But it's not by his might and not by his power, but by God's might, by God's power, by God's spirit. Verse 7, who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings crying grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also finish it. So it is true concerning our Savior. He laid the foundation, and he will finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. Now here's our text. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. I want to talk to you about small things, the day of small things. Everything in this world Begins small. Every great thing has small beginnings. My wife and I are not planting a garden this year. But we have for the past 43 years had a garden. And uh, we get corn. Go out and pick huge, beautiful ears of golden sweet corn. And it would begin with just a little seed. (laughs) Just a little seed sown in the ground. And you sow the little grains in the ground, and go out in the or late summer and start to pick the corn that was sown from those small little grains. And now here are these ta- stalks of corn up, has my head and higher, and they got full ears and lots of corn. But it began with those small grains. The huge acorn or the huge oak tree begins with just an acorn. The Protestant Reformation began with one man, (laughs) just one man, Todd, just one man, dared in a day of darkness to write out on a piece of paper his simple conviction of divine truth and nailed it out front on the doorpost of the church. and the world was turned upside down. The world never forgot what Martin Luther did on that day. The great awakening in this country and in England began with a few college students meeting together for prayer to read the scriptures at Oxford University in England. What we call the modern missionary movement, this great machinery that sends men all over the world preaching the gospel, It began with one man's determination, a fellow named William Carey, to see to it that the barbarian tribesmen of India hear the gospel. Don't despise small things. Don't attempt things with the attitude that this is too big. It can't be done. You do what you can do. You do what you can do. I'll tell you a story. It'll illustrate what I'm saying, this fellow, small scrawny fellow, out west in Oregon, went and applied for a job as a logger. And the fellow looked at him and he, he said, "Do you have any experience?" He's well, sure I do. He said, uh, "What what's your experience?" He said, "Did you ever hear the Sierra forest?" No, no. You talk about Sierra desert. He said, that's what they call it now. (laughs) That was the Sierra Forest when I went there. He said, you cleared that whole thing? He said, I sure did. He said, how would you do that? One tree at a time. And that's how we go about our labor in the cause of our Redeemer. Doing what God puts in your hand to do today. Not what you want to do tomorrow. Not what you hope to do 10 years from now, what God puts in your hand to do today. You're all familiar with Todd's Road Grace Church in Lexington. It is now, I suppose, I think I can say confidently, the largest congregation of gospel witness anywhere in the world. I think that's a safe declaration. And I Todd's a little embarrassed, but forgive me, I've got to say it. I remember when they got started, they uh, had a few college students, very few, meeting in a dump you wouldn't want to go to (laughs) out on the north side of Lexington. And uh, God gave the man faithfulness and steadfastness, and faithfulness and steadfastness through sickness and pain and difficulty Faithfulness and steadfastness. How many years have it been now? Thirty years. Can't be thirty years. <laughs> and God bless the laborer. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't despise the day God's given you. Don't despise what God's put in your hand. Don't envy what God's put in somebody else's hand. Don't look at this. Well, I. I can't do what, what Brother Todd's doing. I can't do what Brother Don's doing. I'll not do anything. Do, do what God's given you the opportunity, the means, and the ability to do. That's what's required of you. That and no more. All of that and no less. What God gives you the means, the opportunity, and the ability to do for his glory. We look at things and we, we like to measure things in terms of numbers and great buildings. Measure things in terms of faithfulness and a great God. That's all. Just faithfulness and a great God. I can't help but to think of another great pastor and a great congregation. Brother Gary Vance. I've been going to Dingus, West Virginia, preaching now since Brother Mayhem first had contact with him over there. Gary was a member of the congregation. He was a member there, through an old man who was pastor, I never knew. He was a member there when Sammy Vance was pastor. No relation. Faithful man. Stayed right there with it. He was a faithful servant, faithful member of that congregation all the time. Brother Hap Yates was there, and uh, God put him there as pastor. Preaches to a smaller group than this all the time. Most folks don't know his name. Most folks don't know where Dingus, West Virginia, is. If you talk to them about it, they're not even interested. Well, what's he doing? He's doing what God has given him, the means and the opportunity and the ability to do. So I wouldn't do that. That's the reason you can't. <laughs> That's just the reason God won't let you. Uh, see somebody teaching Sunday school classes. Just not the two children there. If they were your two, you'd want to talk, wouldn't you? That's just, a, that's just a small group of people. I, I wouldn't want to go there. Huh. I wonder if that small group of your family reckon you'd want somebody to come preach the gospel to them? Do what God gives you the means and the opportunity and the ability to do. You see, God has chosen to give birth to great things by insignificant things so that no flesh may glory in his presence. So that if anything is done for God's glory, for the good of men's souls, for the establishing of God's kingdom, for the salvation of God's elect, then it will be obvious that God did it. (laughs) And not me and not you. He does it this way to show us that the instruments he uses in themselves are nothing. To show us that the work is his work alone. And he uses such things as we are in our circumstances with all our weakness and sinfulness and unbelief to try and prove, to try and prove, to try and prove the faith of his people. Though ours is a day of small things, and I recognize it is, this is the day of... The Lord has made Pat McGinnis for you and Don Fortner to serve him. This is the day the Lord made for us. This is the day the Lord has made for us. Do you understand that? He's made us for this day and made this day for us. I can't state this strongly enough. I have been now... 33 years, pastor of Grace Church in Danville. I wouldn't trade places with anybody anywhere in the world at any time in history. I'm right where I need to be. I'm right where I need to be. How can you be sure of that? I'm God's. <laughs> I'm God's. He's made this day for me. He's made every circumstance and situation in my life for me, for me to use for his glory and for his people. In all God's works of grace, that work which is performed and accomplished is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. There's usually a day of small things involved. In the experience of grace, There's usually a season when the work of grace in us seems to be very unpromising. Indeed, there are often days of small things, and sometimes those days are very, very long. And that's the way it always is in God's kingdom. Turn to Mark chapter 4. Hold your hands here in Zechariah. Turn to Mark 4. Most of the time, our faith and hope and love, our strength and knowledge, our usefulness, our comfort is very small. Here in Mark 4, verse 30, our Lord Jesus speaks and says, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It's like a grain of of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth, the smallest of herbs, the smallest seed, the the smallest seed. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. (laughs) That's always the way God does his work. That is always the way God does his work. That work of grace that we call conversion. We might call a day of small things, It is a mighty operation of God's grace. It is is a work performed by his Holy Spirit revealing Christ in us. But uh, it is a day of small things. It's called the day, the day of salvation, the day of his power, the day of our Savior's espousals, and yet it's a day of small things because the work itself, though great, indescribably great, has indescribably small beginnings. Uh, we think of faith. These days folks like to uh, like to brag about faith and great faith and mighty faith and faith that can move mountains. Here's the faith that moves mountains. If I can just touch the hem of his carpet. If I can just touch him I shall be made whole and she touched him and the Son of God stood still <laughs> said who touched me he perceived virtue going out of him immediately she was made whole person born again sadly there are heretics in our day as in other days who uh, had the idea that somehow, salvation, and it's involved in great knowledge. Uh, Where the truth told, reckon just exactly what you did know when you were converted. (laughs) Reckon just exactly how much knowledge you had. What did you know about the Trinity? What What did you know about the eternal deity of the Son of God? What did you know about his eternal suretyship engagement? What did you know about his sufferings and death? What did you know about him being made sin? In reality, what did you know? I believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of the living God. And that's pretty near it. That's pretty near it. I believe that He fulfilled everything this book said the Christ would fulfill. I believe what God's revealed of Him by His Word in my heart, but what He's revealed ain't much. And the reality is, Jeff, the more I know, the more I recognize how little it is that I know. Very little. Our knowledge, not much. Our knowledge, not much. First time I preached in California, never will forget it. I had two different fellows come up to me, and uh, they both said similar things. Uh, fellow came up to me and introduced himself. He'd been, I don't know where he heard my name, but anyway, he introduced himself, and he said, uh, after a little bit, he said, you'd be surprised how much I know. <laughs> and I said, I'm sure I would be. <laughs> and just Just a few minutes, this, I mean, I had no more escape that fellow. And another one came to me and talked a little bit. And he said, uh, he said, you'd be surprised how really spiritual I am. And I said, I'm sure I would be. <laughs> what? Not God's people. Not God's people. We recognize that uh, our faith and our knowledge and our experience and our strength and our hope is little so little as to be insignificant. Our love for our Redeemer, so little as to be insignificant. Sometimes I feel like that man, the Lord Jesus led away and put a mustard patch uh, a poultice on his eyes and uh, said, do you see anything? He says, I see men as trees walking. <laughs> that's, that's just about the extent of it. Not only is the beginning of grace a day of small things, Our whole experience of grace in this world is such. Small things. But it's not to be despised. You see, it's not a day that our Father despises. Our prayers... Do you know there was actually a time when I used to think I knew something about prayer? Our prayers are what we utter is mostly selfishness. And what we sigh and groan for uh, are groans that can't be put into words, but our Father hears them. And He answers the cry of His children. The children of Israel cried unto the Lord by reason of their taskmasters. And God said to Moses, Go tell them I've heard their cry. <laughs> Your heavenly father hears the deep cry of your soul. Our faith, insignificant. But the Lord God takes our faith to be a great thing. He gives us strength as that strength is needed day by day. And he comes to us as we Come to him in our helplessness. That prodigal son came to the father. He said, uh, he said, I'll arise and go to my father. And I'll say, Father, make me as one of your hired servants. He said, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Make me as one of your hired servants. And, and he arose came to his father. And the scripture says his father saw him when he was yet a great way off. And ran. <laughs> and ran. And fell on his neck and kissed him. The day of small things not to be despised by us. Our Lord Jesus doesn't despise it. You see, he regards the beginnings of grace in every one of his children as the shooting forth of his vines in his vineyard. He he takes his lambs and carries them in his omnipotent arms up next to his tender heart. He takes the bruised reed and says, I'll not crush it. The smoking flax, he says, I'll not quench it. The thirsting soul, he will refresh. The hungry soul, he will feed. The broken heart, he will heal. And God, the Holy Spirit, doesn't despise this day of small things. No, he helps our infirmities. He makes intercession for the saints with groans unutterable and promises that he will carry on his good work of grace unto the end. I recall as a young believer I had an incident that just nearly drove me to despair just nearly drove me to despair I, I thought <laughs> I thought just exactly what uh, I heard a lady express not two hours ago I got a call just as I was pulling up over to the motel and this dear soul is just in despair Is it possible that after all this, it ain't going to work? And uh, the Lord's going to cast me away. Now, I sat down in my bedroom that evening and opened the scriptures. There's not much of a way to read scripture, but that night I just opened the scriptures. And this is where the book of God fell open. And this is what God gave me. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. You see, our being sustained, and our persevering, and our steadfastness, and our faithfulness doesn't depend on us, David. It depends on him. If God's called you, God will keep you, and God will be faithful to you to the end. If we believe not, even then, he cannot deny himself. He abideth faithful. We ought not look upon God's operations of grace in our brethren and despise them. You see, every believer is the temple of God. Every one of God's children is his holy temple. And in this day of small things, as long as we're in this world, we will find God's people like ourselves in a very low condition. People talk about mountaintop experiences. Jeff, you mentioned it a little bit ago. And folks talk about living on the mountain underneath the starry sky and all that stuff. I've had very little of that. I've had very little of that. Uh, Brother Pat just moved back from Montana. Out there in the mountains, you get up on those high mountains, nothing grows there. And the air is thin. You get a little dizzy. The best place to live is in the valley where the ground is well watered, where there's constant dew and constant rain and continual storms. And there things grow. And that's where God keeps his church, in the valley among the myrtle trees where the Savior constantly meets their needs. We spend most of our lives scratching, looking up toward the mountaintop, hoping maybe we might someday get there. And the fact is that God's saints in this world, like Joshua and Zerubbabel and the people of Israel, often behave as people who do not know God and do not know his grace. I hear pastors speak uh, sometimes real harshly with regard to the folks they serve. And I try to remind them of what I try to remind myself. Brother Todd, God's people are sheep. If they weren't sheep, they wouldn't need shepherds. And you know what sheep are? Have any of y'all ever been around a sizable flock of sheep. You can smell them a mile away. They're dirty. They're helpless. They have trouble even giving birth to their young. Sheep are the most helpless critters on this earth. They're only good at one thing, and that's straying. That's all they're good at. They're easily lost. They need constant care. Turn over to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. When God's people behave like men and women who do not know God, let alone believe him, who have no knowledge of God's grace, just like you often do, and just like I often do, Here's a word of instruction for you. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one, watch this now, in the spirit of meekness. They need help, not flogging. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. What does that mean? Bear ye one another's burdens care for each other help your fallen brother lift him up and so fulfill the law of Christ and don't despise the day of small things in yourself Paul had a problem Paul had a problem he had been translated to the third heaven Now, I'm not talking about one of these jokers you see on television, talking about dying or having a near-death experience coming back. I'm talking about a fellow who told the truth, writing by divine inspiration. He had been translated to the third heaven, and he saw things and heard things. And he said, what I saw and heard, no words can describe. He said, "I I saw a great light. I felt a real warmth. No, he said, what I saw. And what I heard, human language can't describe it, can't be described. And he lived with the awareness that he had visions and revelations of things that no human being ever had. The other apostles, they'd seen a lot. Peter, James, and John, those bosom disciples, they were with the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane. Paul said, I saw things and I heard things. Peter, James, and John don't have a clue of. And he had a problem. Guess what it was? He was a very proud man. And he was constantly lifted up with pride. He said, uh, he said, this thorn in the flesh, Satan, was sent from God to beat me in the face, lest I be exalted above measure. And I asked God three times to take it from me. And the Lord Jesus said, I've got a better answer for you. Live with it. Live with it. Live with it. My grace is sufficient for thee. And so Paul acknowledges his weakness, his frailty, his sin. And he said, I'll glory in my infirmities because his strength is made perfect in my weakness. (laughs) His strength is made perfect in my weakness. How can that be? Not that my weakness gives the Savior more strength. That's not the case. But God graciously sustaining and using such a worthless, proud, haughty, sinful rebel who ought to be constantly aware that is nothing but a worm in the dust. That's the manifestation of His perfect grace and His strength. The Lord Jesus tells us by His prophet Isaiah a bruised reed shall He not break, and the smoking flax shall He not quench. He will bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail, nor be discouraged. Till he has set judgment in the earth, and the isle shall wait for his law. Here we are, struggling with flesh all the time. Cannot do the things we would. Struggle with unbelief. Oh, my God. How I wish I could believe God. Struggling with love of the world and lack of love for the Redeemer. Struggle with self-confidence and lack of confidence in God. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? God shall. God shall. And all the while, he says, uh, the smoking flax. (laughs) That's a pretty good description of Paul Hoover. Smoking flax. Know what that is? got an oil lantern. And the wick is just smoking. It can't give off any light, but the life of the fire is still there. It wouldn't be smoking. All it can do is soot up the glass. It can't give off any warmth, but the life of fire is there, or it wouldn't be smoking. And it stinks horrible. It stinks horrible. And the Lord Jesus says, I won't quench that smoking flax. The bruised reed, you can take a bunch of reeds, tie them together and build a building around them. But a bruised reed, you can't throw it. You can't hit anything with it. It's absolutely worthless. A bruised reed, the Savior says I will not He takes that which is obnoxious and useless. Now I'm getting close to where we live. He takes that which is obnoxious and useless and uses it for his glory. Turn to Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50. The bruised reed, the smoking flax, that's a pretty good picture of our weak desires and aspirations after our Savior. There's nothing attractive about them, not to the eye of man, much less to your own eye, but they ascend up to God who dwells on high. And he smells nothing but the sweet savor of Jesus Christ our Lord. Look here in Isaiah 50 verse 10. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, believes God, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Walketh in darkness and hath no light. Let me give you a personal illustration. Nobody here knows anything about it except my wife and Todd and Lynn and myself. Maybe not Leon. A few years ago, I was in the hospital and I'd gone through some things and some of it's medical, but I'm convinced most of it wasn't. And for the first time in my life, the only time in my life... I hope never to experience it again. I spent two weeks when God would not speak to me. And wouldn't let me speak to him. Brother Todd would come visit me. And I was plumb rude to you. I apologize. I've never been so miserable in my life. There was no light. No light, just darkness. Well, what do you do when there's no light, just darkness? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon His God. That's what you do. You see, faith. Faith doesn't depend on light. Faith depends on God. Faith doesn't depend on feeling. Faith depends on the Savior. Faith doesn't depend on my strength. Faith rests on his strength. So when you walk in darkness... Trust in the name of the Lord. Stay upon your God. Our Lord Jesus said to Peter, before the sun rises tomorrow, before the cock crows two times, you're going to deny me three times. What a horrible, horrible thing to hear. But Peter said, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> that's not. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And he denied the Lord Jesus and denied him a second time. And he heard that rooster crow. And he thought, oh, just. can you imagine the terror must have gone through his mind? But Peter is nothing but sinful flesh. And he couldn't stop himself in his downward spiral of unbelief and rebellion. And he cussed and denied the Savior again and heard the cock crow. Now the Lord Jesus said, before the sun rises tomorrow, three times you're going to deny me. Do you remember what his very next word was to him, Cheryl? Do you remember his next word? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So that we live in this world in a day of small things, not to be despised. But when there's nothing in you, nothing to give you confidence, nothing to give you help, look out of yourself. Look out of yourself altogether, out of yourself to Christ Jesus the Lord and rest in him. He's the anchor of our souls. When I have nothing in me, to give me encouragement or strength, I have every reason still to trust him, his finished work, his complete obedience on my behalf, his perfect righteousness, his full blood atonement, his constant forgiveness of all my sins, and his promise, never to leave me nor forsake me. May the 15th, After two weeks, when the Lord God just shut the heavens and would not speak, my wife was reading to me as she did every day. And uh, she got to Spurgeon's reading for that day. And the Lord said, I pray not that thou wouldst take them out of the world. And when she read that statement before she ever read Spurgeon's morning reading, God spoke. <laughs> God spoke. Mm. Trust the Redeemer. He will keep you. He will fulfill His promise. This day of grace is now and always will be while we live in this world, the day of small things. The smaller the day, the better. The smaller the day, the better. How can you say that? You see, in all things spiritual, we are highest when we're lowest. We're richest when we're poorest. We are most full when we're most empty. We're strongest when we're weakest. And we're most useful. when we're most useless is that right pastor that's just the way it is that no flesh should glory in his presence the cause of Christ in this world usually appears to be a day of small things just as it did in Zachariah's day it appears as a day of small things and so It's despised by many and too often by us. Our Lord Jesus teaches us constantly to be faithful. To be faithful. Faithful holding forth the light of the gospel. Faithful being his witnesses. Faithful doing what we can for the furtherance of the gospel. Faithful. Committing ourselves to his cause. Faithful building his kingdom. Building his church. The work is his. That's all. That's all. And he will build his church. He says on this rock, this foundation, this confession, thou art the Christ. I will build my church. And he uses a strange metaphor. He says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I've watched a lot of war movies. And I've never seen anybody attack another army with gates. Gates are a defensive weapon, not an offensive weapon. Our Lord Jesus sends us forth to preach the gospel, to assault the gates of hell incessantly with his word, and the gates of hell will fall. I've seen it over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, I have never known the gates of hell to be assaulted by God's church, by God's servant, by any of God's people, that they didn't fall before us. (laughs) The gates of hell shall not stand before the gospel of our Redeemer. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll wrap this up. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 18. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God chosen and the wisdom of God. Now folks will tell you what you need to do at Millsite Baptist Church. Is have some. You need to get some programs going. You need to start doing this. Start to look what the other churches do. it been successful. No. What you need to do. Is what you've been doing. Ever since I've known you. And that's been a while. Preach the gospel of God's free grace. And wait. To them which are called, this is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world hath God chosen. Things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Now when our mighty Zerubbabel is finished, he who laid the foundation stone will lay the top stone, and he'll cry, grace, grace unto it. And he will lay his plummet to the land. Not yours, not mine, he is. Plummet, that's, I understand that's what carpenters and masons use to make certain that things are straight. Built the way they ought to be. And when he lays his plummet to the line, his seven eyes of perfect wisdom and knowledge shall see it. And this is what he'll say. No spot. No wrinkle. No infirmity. Lo, I and the children which thou hast given me and his kingdom, the walls of his holy city, the inhabitants of his heavenly Jerusalem shall be exactly in number To the elect of God before the world began and exactly in perfect character. As Christ himself, holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Amen.